Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst, Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod here to talk about Michigan State's 89-68 victory over the Buffalo Bulls from the MAC uh, at the Breslin Center. Before we start, I just wanted to remind you that the t-shirts are in production and those who have, those of you who ordered them will be getting them soonish. <laughs> we expect to have them uh, to ship out next week. We're hoping shipping next week. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So maybe end of next week or uh, or the beginning of the following week kind of depends where you live. Depending upon where yeah. you are. Yeah. And how quickly you can get these things turned around. But yeah, we're, we're anticipating getting them from the printer next Tuesday. So shipping will... I don't don't think that we have a, a real mailroom operating. It will be me mailing <laughs> these things out. So it may take a couple of days. We we have a, a fair amount of orders to go through, actually. So uh, but but you should be seeing them shortly is the, the bottom line. It may be entirely dependent on Rod's patience at the post office and how long he's willing to wait in line. That's uh, true. <laughs> Uh, also, you know, if you want to support the show, obviously uh, we'll have another batch of t-shirts going out. Uh, we have to, we'll have to decide when, maybe in a, a month and a half or something like that. But uh, we'll do that again. If you want to support the show, we really appreciate it. Uh, you, there are plenty of opportunities from a monthly standpoint through Patreon. You can find those links at thefinalfoursontheschedule.com slash support. You can also make one-time donations via PayPal or Venmo. All right, so let's talk about Buffalo Bulls. The most notable headline that came out of this is, Welcome back, Malik Hall. Malik came back. He played not a whole lot. He played 13 minutes, uh, but they were significant minutes. He scored 11 points, Had uh, didn't have any rebounds, but you could definitely see a difference in the team's demeanor. And he was uh, two of two from three. He looked good. He didn't look that rusty, and not as, and certainly not as rusty as maybe I felt like Jaden Akins did when he came back, at least just from a conditioning standpoint. I mean, he didn't play as many minutes, I suppose, as Jaden did his first time back. I think Jaden played 20, but uh, that was definitely notable. Uh, AJ Hogard with a double double with 11 points, 10 assists, only two turnovers. Um, and I think, you know, the other guy, and also Joey Hauser with a double double with 12 rebounds, 14 points. And uh, Sissoko almost had 10 rebounds. He came, came down with nine. A game that was pretty shaky for the first about eight minutes or so, maybe even nine uh, Michigan state couldn't hit anything. And then they started hitting a lot of shots. And I think, you know, it was an opportunity for Buffalo that they just did not seize early in the game. I think they had a lot of decent looks or at least opportunities to score and they just weren't able to hit the bunnies and the inability to put pressure on Michigan state was kind of lost in those first, the first segment or two segments of the game. And then it was really, they were playing uphill the rest of the game. They had a little run to start the, to end the first half and start the second half. And that was pretty much it. And they ran in fumes from there on out. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I thought that Michigan state struggled a little bit offensively at the beginning of each half, but then when they got dialed in, things looked pretty good. Uh, maybe not an accident that uh, Malik call his time on the floor kind of coincided with them getting on track in, in both halves, actually. Yeah. Defensively, though, I, I actually thought MSU was pretty good, save for that beginning segment of the second half. That's where Malik Hall was most impressed with me. I mean, I thought his footwork, which is what you worry about coming off the injury he had, was evident at both ends. I mean, I thought he moved confidently. He was moving well. All that was great. But, man, it was so obvious to see what a difference he makes defensively. Yeah. Agreed. So obvious. And, 
And I thought Michigan, as I say, I thought Michigan State was pretty good as a team defensively through a lot of this game. But boy, that that opening few minutes of the second half, not good. Um, I actually thought Buffalo, a lot of the shots they hit, I thought were well guarded. I saw Tom Izzo at the end of the game saying he thought the defense was inconsistent. I'm not going to be surprised if after they get a chance to look at the tape that he feels a little better about it than he, than he did because other than, you know, coming right off the floor, because a lot of the shots Buffalo hit were garbage shots. They really were. I mean, there were a lot of well-guarded shots that Buffalo hit in this game. Um, you know, you look at the numbers and they, they're okay by the numbers. MSU defensively doesn't look spectacular. They look okay. They Buffalo shot 42% from the floor, which is higher than you'd want only 31% from three, although that's slightly better than they, they got on the season. But as I say, I, I really felt MSU defended a little bit better than that number suggests. That was my impression. I mean, you know, reasonable minds can differ, but, um, and I, and I give Malik Hall, I thought Jade Nakins looked yes. the best he's looked defensively. I think he was really active. Um, I liked Trey Holloman again defensively. I thought Monty Sissoko was great in pick and roll. I thought that was the most consistent performance he's had as a pick and roll defender in weeks. So there were a lot. I thought Joey Hauser played pretty well defensively. The, the guys who struggled are the guys you'd expect to struggle. Pierre Brooks, <laughs> yep, Jackson Kohler at times. Um, you know, and they got taken advantage of, um, but there were, there were a lot of things I liked on the defensive end, uh, going back to Malik, uh, just so great to see him, uh, back out there and to look as if he's didn't miss a beat. Yeah. I was surprised. He looked as he looked exactly like you take him from where he was that Villanova game and drop him into this one. And it was the same kind of play. The only difference was he didn't see the minutes, but you know, that was to be expected as I talked about 15 to 20, he ended up getting 13, you know, didn't play a lot in the second half. Um, I'm not sure if there was something that was maybe precautionary. You know, he was sitting, working with that massaging piece of equipment they had for most of the time he was on the bench in the second half, but he certainly didn't look like he was in any pain or suffering any discomfort or stress. I, I would assume they were just being very careful with it, but you know, you're back into the big 10 now. So pretty quickly, they're going to be looking to ramp him up. And, uh, I thought it was a great first step from him. He just, he just makes the whole thing better offensively and defensively. I think you really saw the difference that he can make. I, I think his presence offensively when he's back in the role, I think we anticipate he'll be in, um, you're probably not going to see Michigan state go through as many of those lull periods as we've seen since right. he's been out. And even tonight, you know, we mentioned the, the beginnings of each of the halves tonight. were not good. Well, what do those have in common with each other? Normally call on the floor. I just, I think he's so effective with his patience and his footwork that if you're struggling to get something, he's a guy you can get on the blocks and let him kind of work his way into position to score, you know, and that's, that's really what you want when you're, when you're struggling offensively, you really want to have that guy who you can, you can get near the rim and you can rely on to just go get you a bucket to break some bad momentum. And MSU really, you know, AJ Hogard was, has probably been their best option for that up until now, but Malik is going to give them that kind of guy again. And that's a big, big positive. And then, as we said, defensively, man, I, I, I think him and with Jade Nakins rounding back into form, this has the potential to be a very good defensive team in the big 10. I really believe that. There was that possession where both he and Akins were out at the at the key, just switching back and forth off the ball handlers, and those guys couldn't get anything going. I mean, they were just they were totally flummoxed out there. On well, the Dave, Dave Fife pointed it out on the broadcast. You know that with Malik, you could truly switch one through four, and and I would argue Madi can guard a guard at least for a little bit. I think you can go one yeah. through five, and. And I don't know that they felt always felt comfortable with Malik out of the lineup, that they could do that, at least not do it 
of, you know, at a high level, you might try to do it. But, you know, if you've got Pierre Brooks out there switching, that's a different story than if it's Malik. So um, very, very impressive stuff from him. And I think it's it's clearly going to make a big difference for this team. You could see it in the minutes he played. Yeah, I feel like, you know, comparing jo- I think Joey and Malik have similar similar, I guess, effects on the team in the sense that they're both steady forces. And I think, I think Joey is just kind of a steady presence, but Malik is like a calming presence. Like, I think he really just, as you mentioned with the offense just runs better. They just seem less confused or, and they just, and defensively, he just makes little move. Like you watch him, he'll just make a, he'll just recover and help for a second, go back. He just knows kind of what's, what he's doing out there. It makes a huge difference. It's amazing. What, what did Mike Garland tell us? When we, we had him on yeah. the podcast after the Penn State game, exactly the kind of things we saw tonight that when you have a guy like Malik out there who understands not just his role, but everybody else's and can be vocal, can call things out. That's not just going to be about him covering his man at a higher level than somebody else who'd be played those minutes would. There's a knock on effect. What he can do in in terms of their gap principles, you know, and you saw that if you're watching closely, you'll see it where he might just take a step to shrink the gap, so to speak, you know, so mm-hmm. a guy doesn't have a driving lane, whereas with somebody else out there, they might, and it's subtle stuff, but man, it's so important. And it's the kind of thing that that ability to cover up maybe for somebody else's mistake um, and, and allow the whole, all five guys to be connected. That's a big, big, big deal for any team, definitely for Michigan state with the way they defend. And, um, I think it's just with him out there, just the whole is going to get a lot better. And again, I don't want to discount the value as well of Jaden Akins getting back to being the guy he can be, which I think we saw again tonight. I, I know he scored and he shot the ball well. But I was really impressed with him defensively in a lot of this game. I thought he was yeah. I thought he was pretty good at times. Um, and uh, and that's another thing that's going to help them elevate. And I would also add that Kohler, although he definitely struggled defensively and a number of times, especially in the pick and roll offensively, he started. I mean, he started looking a little comfortable for the first time. I feel like the season he, he had, uh, you know, his first shot wasn't very good. And then he sort of got into he just looked, he looked like he was getting into his spot and into moves and places that, that he wanted to be in and started converting on those a little bit. And he also had that nice tip off the uh, missed free throw too. Yeah. He had, he had the one make on a uh, post up that he hit the, uh, the dream shake move, kind of a fade away. Uh, and that's nice. And that's something he's got in his bag that I, I don't think there's a lot defenders can do about that. You know, that's the beauty of that move is that there's really not a lot a defender can do to contest it really, really well. Um, You know, you just kind of have to hope that he misses the shot. Look, he's still got to get, you know, it's it's probably at this point, I think it's a combination of confidence and some strength issues. I think Dane Fife mentioned that on, on one of the shots that he missed around the rim that, you know, he said he's just, He's just not quite strong enough yet to do what ideally he would do in that scenario and just go up straight and power through it, but he'll get there. He just may not get there this season. Um, but I look, I, I think it was, I think it was a good game for a lot of guys, but especially guys like, you know, Malik, obviously just coming back, um, off the injury you wanted to see play well, but then I thought Jackson Kohler had some positive things happen. And I really like Trey Holloman tonight. Yeah. I thought, I thought that was, you want to talk about a guy kind of finding himself offensively and just in terms of confidence and, and look, he only had seven points. It was only one for three from the floor, one for two from three. And then he was four for four at the line, but, um, he was the most aggressive and the most confident in terms of looking for his own offense as I can recall seeing him maybe yet this year. Uh, and that's a really good sign because again, you, you're going to need him. It gets real. 
coming up in in a few days. And uh, and you need these guys. Michigan State basketball is a, a program that relies upon depth. You know, Tom Izzo wants to play guys off the bench. He doesn't want to go with an iron six or something like that. And so if that's going to be the case, well, your Trey Hollimans, your Jackson Kohlers, those guys have got to be capable of contributing. And we know Trey can do that defensively. There's no question about that. We know that he can do it as a point guard, you know, as a guy who handles the ball, runs the offense, but to see him be assertive in looking for his own shot, his own opportunities to score, taking the ball hard to the, to the rim and getting fouled. That's, that's a big deal. That's the element that hasn't been there. And frankly, if he doesn't do that, it makes him a little easier to guard. If opponents don't feel like they have to respect him. Well, now you got a game against a decent opponent, not a great one, but a decent one that, uh, that uh, he put it on tape, you know? So people Mm -hmm. are going to have to think about that, whether they want to play him honestly or not. Uh, I also, the, the no look pass he had in transition to (laughs) white, I believe was you remember, I think I'm pretty sure we talked about this on a podcast that, um, maybe it was a Jack Ebling show. I can't remember, but, uh, somewhere I was talking about how we haven't even started to scratch the surface of what Trey Holloman is capable of doing as a playmaker. Yeah. That he is a guy who can make spectacular plays. If you saw clips of him in high school, you you probably have a sense of what I'm talking about. That play might be the first time this year that we've seen it, but wow, was it impressive. Yeah. And then he gave the, the bench and the crowd the goggles look to, for <laughs> emphasis. But uh really nice night from him. I was really happy with that because th- they're gonna need him. They're, they're flat out. They're going to need him to be a guy that they can at least turn to and say, Hey, we need 10 minutes, 12 minutes, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and to know that he's feeling that way, feeling that confidence and, and playing at this level, that's a big deal. And I think, you know, to your point about him getting, uh, getting his shot and going and looking for it, at least at the rim, that was a lot of players tonight, and you know. Oh yeah, were, I'm glad you there were 30 it up. free throws, right? There are 30 free yes. throws for Michigan State, which was a season high. I think a season high. Yeah, um, it is. But more importantly, it, it wasn't like a foul fest where they're just you know blowing the whistle on just dumb reaches. They they were attacking. It was either you foul them or it's a two you know it's a layup, and so it was them being smart, cutting well to the to the basket and stuff, and so I. I think, you know, they did get 30 foul uh, 30 free throws, but it was because they, they earned those. It wasn't like, you know, and it wasn't like them just looking for contact. Like I felt like how Maryland played, you know, dives to the rim. It was actually just going to hard to score. And they were, you had no choice as a defender, either foul them or let them score. A hundred percent agree. It was, it was one of the more aggressive games. I can recall Michigan state playing in that way in a long time. And, and you said it, it was, it was kind of across the board. It wasn't just where, and, and honestly, I don't even think they got the benefit of everything they should have. I thought, no. I thought Buffalo was just abusing Tyson Walker and I, it brings something up. I don't know if I've ever even said this, but it's on a podcast, but it's something I do think about. I think Tyson Walker gets the least amount of respect from officials of anybody I can think of at a similar level of play in this conference, he gets absolutely hammered around the basket and seemingly very rarely gets the benefit of the whistle. And I'm not quite sure why that is, but he was attacking. He just wasn't getting rewarded for it. But you mentioned Holloman shot four free throws. Pierre Brooks got four Malik had four. And I'm talking about temps here. Tyson had four. He should have had more than that. Hogarth had four Hauser had four. And, And almost all of that was the result of, guys as you said attacking it wasn't just weird touch foul calls when they're in the penalty 25 feet from the basket it was got a result of guys actively trying to make plays and it was a lot of different guys doing it it wasn't one guy or two guys so that's look if if they can even come close to sustaining that that's a big deal because MSU actually didn't shoot free throws all that well tonight they weren't horrible but 21 for 30 70 percent 
they're a little better than that as a team. Yeah. Um, so if they can get to the if they can get to the line even twenty times, twenty free throw attempts a night, I'd grab that in a heartbeat. They came into this game averaging fourteen, which is a very low number, and it's. Uh, people have to understand Michigan state under Tom Izzo historically is not a team that tends to shoot a lot of free throws relative to, you know, the national average. And it's because offensively they've often been a team that shoots a lot of jumpers definitely has not placed a premium historically on what we were just talking about, you know, the, the fullback dive offense. Um, so they don't tend to shoot a lot of free throws, but this, this year, it's been low even by MSU standards. So it was really good to see them play this way. Cause I think they've got guys who are capable of doing it. That's the yeah. thing. When you look at, you look at Jaden Akins, you look at AJ Hogard, you look at Tyson Walker. Now you look at Holloman, you know, even Pierre Brooks showed that tonight on a couple of occasions, Malik Hall can do it. They, they've got a lot of guys who you, you should feel in my opinion, at least you should feel comfortable with in terms of those guys looking to take people to the rim and that should be getting you to the line a fair amount. And, and so it was great to see. Yeah. And I think also along those same lines a little bit is Hogard posting up at least three times that I recall. And uh, you know, Dame Fife mentioned that as well, but that looked like, I mean, that was an intention. That was a play called by the, by the absolutely. Right. And so that that's obviously going to be something you're going to use. Yeah. And here's, here's why it's a big deal. Um, first of all, you know, that AJ Hogard can score down there. Most of the time he's going to have a physical advantage against the guy who's guarding him. Maybe not actually in the next game, shockingly, because Nebraska has got a, a point guard who's bigger than he is. But most of the time in this league, I mean, I think about that game coming up against Michigan. Uh, the idea, I, I tend to think they'll probably put Doug McDaniel on Tyson Walker, but there will be times where Doug McDaniel has to guard AJ Hogard. That that's not a good physical matchup for Michigan. So AJ is going to have the advantage physically a lot of the time, but more than that, he's actually got a post game. It's not like, well, he's just a bigger body. So we're going to stick him down there and hope good things happen. He knows what he's doing. We've seen it. He's got touch around the rim. I think he's got decent footwork in the post. He's got all those elements. But the other thing you like is if defenses get worried about that and feel like they need to send help, well, you've got one of the best passers in the country. Yeah. Trying to pass out of a double team. I like your odds. And I I mentioned this on the Spartan mag board, actually, during the game. The thing that you like about it from a Michigan State perspective, I would think, is that and not every team fits this mold, but MSU does. MSU has personnel that they can play an inverted game maybe a little better than some other teams because let's just say you're doing that when you happen to be playing Joey Hauser and Malik Call together, which they'll do mm-hmm. at times this year. Not a lot, but they'll do it. Um, that would be a lineup where all four of the other guys around AJ are shooting threats. At a minimum, you're going to have three. So you can really do it. You're not losing anything. You know, Uh, you've got Hogarth's physical advantage on the block, and then you've got big guys feeding the post potentially who could spot up around the arc and give you a shooting threat if the defense does bring help. I thought it was real interesting too when they were attacking the zone that one time that AJ was playing on the at the free throw line. Yep. And which you can afford to do at Michigan State because you've got Walker and I don't know if Holland was in the quarter for his Aikens. Yep. You've got other ball handlers out there. And and to your point, you've got Hauser can hit outside and having Hogarth there with the ability to pass anywhere. I mean, that's deadly. <laughs> it's it's uh and and you feel, you know, and I, I honestly they've they've used a few they haven't seen a ton of zone this year when they have seen it. Um, they've, they've used different guys and I think they've actually got a lot of candidates who can fill that role. I think Malik can do it. Mm-hmm. I think Joey could do it. Uh, but the thing about Hogarth is I, at least I do feel comfortable with him taking a 12 to 15 footer if it's open. Cause yeah. you need, you need a guy who's a true threat in that middle role. You know, you need a guy who, if a defense doesn't collapse on him when he gets the ball can just stick that shot. And I think he's proven he's capable of making that shot. 
He's also capable of taking two dribbles, forcing them to respond and that too. taking out real quick because he's, you know, he sees everything on that's going on the floor. That too. Absolutely. Yeah. To have your point guard be able to, to feel that role is, is kind of deadly uh, in many ways. Yep. So the only other thing we sort of briefly touched on, I don't know if it was last, this episode or the one before, but you know, this tendency for either AJ or, or Tyson to get two fouls in the first half early yeah. and sort of limit the team. And, you know, now a depth is not as much an issue, I suppose, with Malik back, but you know, Walker picked up those two fouls. He had two turnovers, but I think they were both those offensive fouls. They were. Um, yeah. So kind of weird. Uh, they're just kind of dumb fouls. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it seems like there's always one of them that has it. It's a bad habit that hopefully they Yeah, and it's been of. Tyson lately, and they, they can't look. I, I talked about how important it is that Trey Holloman is confident and proves capable of helping them when he's on the floor, uh, and that's true. And certainly Jaden Aikens rounding into form as the high-level player we think he can be. That's also important. But the fact is, Michigan State needs Tyson Walker. They, they just do. They can't. It's going to be very tough in Big Ten games if he's got to sit for, you know, 13 minutes in the first half. You know, that's just – and Hogarth, too, but it's been more frequently Tyson of late. Um, they just can't have it. And as you said, both fouls were offensive – that those are the ones that just, they drive you crazy. You know, it's one thing if it's a, if it's a defensive foul where you get forced into it and, you know, it's just, you got to tip your cap to the other guy for, for kind of creating it. But I didn't think either of those fouls were, were plays where you tip your hat to the Buffalo defender. They were just bad decisions yeah. and he's too important. You know, if Dane Fife, compared him to Kalen Lucas. Um, I get the comparison in some ways. Uh, one difference is it's taken Tyson a while to develop the mindset that Kalen Lucas had basically from the moment he arrived on campus, <laughs> yeah. which is he was going to attack people. Uh, but, uh, but it, it, I'm not quite, he's not, he's not the player that Kalen was, but, he is really important to this team and, and yeah, they, they, it's a bad habit that he's got to break because they, they can't afford it. He's too, he means too much at both ends, honestly. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I think it affects his offense too, a little bit when he gets into to trouble. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. I mean, but naturally. Sure. Uh, so why don't we, we'll, we'll go through the keys of the game. So we'll take a quick little break and come right back and do the keys of the game. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's indeed.com slash blue wire sports and support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So the first key is health. And, you know, I, the question, of course, is Malik Hall. He came back. He looked like you said earlier. He looked like he was, like he had never left. And, um, you know, I think if, if you needed to, I imagine you could start him at Michigan, uh, but I don't think they'll need to. And I think his Izzo is going to probably delay the force, the decision that he has to make at some point to sit one of his six best players. And, uh, you know, at least from a starting role. And I, I think we've, I don't, I think we're probably thinking it's going to be Walker, right? That's I, I, I do not feel confident in making that <laughs> assessment. And Izzo mentioned it this week in one of his press conferences before this game, he said, he was kind of giving the media a hard time the beat guys. And, uh, he said, yeah, I can't, it's going to be like Christmas for you guys. I'm going to have, you know, people screaming about, you know, why isn't this guy starting? Why isn't that guy starting? And, 
He said it's a it's a problem, but, you know, it's kind of a good problem to have, but it is a problem for him to figure out what that group should look like. And I don't I don't know that there's a clear answer yet. Um, you know, I could see an argument for Tyson Walker, but then I can also see an argument for wanting him on the floor because of the advantages that that two point guard look gives them, you know. Are you gonna are you gonna turn Jade Nakins back into a sixth man role the way he was at the start of the season? Acknowledging that if he hadn't been hurt, he probably wouldn't have been in that role to begin with. He probably would have been a starter. And and he just seems just now to finally be finding himself again. I mean, this was the second straight really good game from him. And I think in some ways it was a better overall game than the Oakland game. Um, when you take into account the defensive end. Um so what do you do? I, I, I know this much, whether whatever Malik is doing in terms of starting or not starting, I expect that the Nebraska game, we will see him on the court earlier than we did in this one. Yes. I think he'll be the first guy in and uh, I think we'll see his minutes increase. And then by the Michigan game. Yeah. I expect another increase as long as there's, you know, there's no, uh, there's no backward movement in terms of his physical condition. Sure. Um, but yeah, they, it was, it would look, it was as, as good as you could have hoped for really in, in terms of this health aspect, Malik looked really good and, uh, didn't look like anybody else got banged up. So that's a great sign. Yeah. So the second key to the game was transition. Uh, Buffalo likes to play fast, just like Michigan State. Kind of a very similar, and I think Fife talked about during the broadcast that they have a very similar approach to attacking after, um, yeah, after made baskets or just to try and get moving after a rebound. Uh, so you know, using our favorite statistic, fast break points, the Michigan State site accredits Buffalo with six, Michigan State with sixteen. I think that's actually pretty accurate. It, Michigan State's transition was pretty good at times. And got a lot of open looks and, uh, you know, things going in at least if not, the, if not in the transition, at least in secondary transition. Uh, so, yeah. And I don't think they, and I think they, they, and I, the other thing I'd say they limited Buffalo pretty well. Yes. Yes. They were, and that's been something that this team has been a little spotty at at times. There have been just enough moments where opponents have gotten easy baskets and you're just not used to seeing that from Michigan state. Uh, but that didn't really happen tonight. And, uh, you saw some, there was some, I'm not ready to say all oh, the transition game is fixed, but you know, Mati got a rim run basket, a dunk, which was really nice to see. Cause that hasn't happened a lot. And I know he's got the physical tools. He's a great athlete. Yeah. Right. You know, so nice to see him get loose on that. And, and as you say, they had, they had enough on the break or the secondary break that it, it felt like a continuation of maybe the small signs of improvement we saw in the Oakland game. Um, and defensively, they were much better in terms of defending Buffalo's transition. Well, the next stat is paint offense. And this is where the stats are misleading. Michigan State with 38 points of paint and Buffalo 44. But you have to attribute 90% of those free throw attempts to being inside the paint. I mean, yeah. well, maybe 100%. I mean, they're, they're For all, sure. almost all right. So, it, they got their credit 38. They probably had equivalent of almost 60 points in the paint. Uh, you know, yeah, you make a really good point. Look, they didn't, they didn't take a ton of threes. I mean, they were, what were they? Eight for eight for eight 19. For 19. Yeah. So. so out of 59 shots, 40 came from inside the arc. That's a pretty high percentage. That's, that's essentially two thirds of your shots were coming from two. And, and that doesn't measure the the activity around the rim that got them to the line, as you say. So Michigan State very clearly was looking to get more done inside, and I think they were largely successful at it. Um, you know, it wasn't uh, people, and I saw it tonight, people screaming about the first two or three possessions where they're clearly trying to go to Mahdi. Okay, I understand. It doesn't always look pretty, but th there's a method to that madness in terms of what MSU is trying to establish in their players. They want those guys to have getting the ball to the rim as a mindset. And I think, yeah, I think it was improvement. I mean, they're, 
they're still not a team that I think finishes around the basket as well as you'd like. You know, there were a lot of shots that got blocked. Some that, as I mentioned, uh, Tyson Walker should have gotten a couple foul calls that weren't made. But even considering that, they're not quite as efficient finishing as you would like to see. But but overall, I can't really complain about this area very much because I think it did demonstrate some improvement, primarily because of what we've been talking about for a lot of this podcast, that they were so aggressive that they they forced Buffalo to foul them a lot. Uh, so the fourth key to the game are turnovers. You know, it's been a little bit of a problem recently. I think, yeah, there are 10 turnovers tonight. Uh, I wonder maybe even two of them in the last two minutes with, with basically uh, backups on the floor. So really good. I think they had four turnovers in the first half. Yep. Buffalo had, I thought felt like they had more. They only credit 14, but uh, they definitely had a lot more sort of sloppy uh, turnovers. I, I thought, you know, protected the ball. Well, as I mentioned before, AJ Hogard, 10 assists, two turnovers, Joey Hauser had six assists and one turnover. Uh, yeah, so, uh, good you know, game. Overall, really him. good effort by everybody, I think. Yeah, it was, you know, after after the Oakland game, which, you know, is looking as if it, it truly is an outlier, um, they got back on the beam. I mean, in a game that was relatively fast-paced, let's put it this way, most Big Ten games are not going to be played at that pace. Right. They just, Big Ten teams just aren't going to do that. Um, so given that it was a faster paced game, I think 10 turnovers, you can live with that number for sure. You know, that was, that was getting back into the realm they want to be in. And, you know, as we said, MSU had what I'm going to say minimum three offensive fouls because Walker yes. had two, Marty I think had at least one Marty had one. Yeah. And I don't even know Kohler for some reason. I'm thinking he might have been called for one. But um, in any event, a good percentage, at least 30% of those turnovers were the result of offensive fouls. So yeah. it maybe was even better than we think. And they also had six steals. Uh, so, you know, six of the 14 turnovers were, were Buffalo were steals from. Well, Michigan that's State, where so. I, you know, I mentioned Jade Nakins. I don't know. A, I don't know how many steals Jade got credited he had, with. He got credit one. He almost had that second one, and then it sort of the ball sort of got away from him. He yep. ended up fouling to try and get that recover that ball. But I even even considering he also had a block on a jump shooter too. But um, even considering that he only had one, I thought he was, I thought he was good all the way around defensively. But I thought he was more active than we've seen him um, since he's come back, and that's a good sign too because. I think that's something that uh, can help this Michigan State team, certainly, is a Jay Nakins that and, – and MSU has other guys. Tyson Walker's this way, too. They've got guys that can force a turnover against you without gambling. Yeah. You know, normally your high steals guys, if you look at it, oftentimes they tend to be guys who take a lot of risks. Tyson Walker and Jade Nakins don't tend to take risks. They're just, they've got good active hands and that's what gets them those turnovers. And I thought Jaden was really creating a lot of havoc with the way he was playing tonight. Good sign. And the final key to the game was offensive rebounding. Yeah. Uh, Buffalo is not a good defensive rebounding team. Uh, it's certainly a bad offensive rebounding team. Yeah, there were 275 defensive rebounding. So Michigan State was a 27.6% offensive rebounding percentage, which is not very good. Buffalo was 26%, so at least Michigan State defensive rebounded okay. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, you know, bad effort, I guess, on the offensive boards, and that may be the, the biggest criticism you can have coming out of this game. Yeah, and I look... I... <laughs> it's, just who they are. it's just who they are, probably, right? Yeah, I, think we just have I to just accept don't... That. I, at, at this point, I mean, you know, we talked about it again with Mike Garland right before they went into this period of you know three weeks where they only had three games. And, you know, he was convinced on all oh, that's something they're going to work on. And I, I just I don't see a lot of signs that this team is going to emerge as a better offensive rebounding group. I, I just do not see it. I think we're going to need to see you know, different personnel that to happen I, because yeah, right now right. they're just, they just aren't, you know, we'll see next year, you know, Cohen Carr flying around Xavier Booker able to do, you know, who knows, but um, 
But for now, this group, I just don't see a lot of reason to expect that it's going to change. And, th- and that can be okay. I mean, it's hard for Michigan State fans, I think, to adjust to it because it's such a core element of what the program has been. But as we've spent a lot of time talking about on this podcast, the profile of this team is just a little different. Yeah. You know, they're not doing the job on the offensive boards, but on the other hand, this has been a team that barring a game or two has done a very good job valuing the ball. They are a very good jump shooting team. They are not a team that has much in the way of post-up threats. Again, not always what you expect from MSU. Um, you know, they're very, they're back to being a good defensive rebounding team. And tonight they were solid there. So that was important. That was good to see, you know, we're just, I, I guess we've just got to accept this. Um, I, and here's the other thing too. How much is Tom Izzo complaining about it? I, I haven't even heard him mention it, but I mean, I guess I don't watch all the. He's, he's not. Yeah. He's not. I'm not saying he's never mentioned it, but he's not banging the drum on this. So to me, I think that says he's kind of accepted. Yeah. I mean, maybe his tune will change in the Big Ten when you figure that shooting percentages are going to decline because you're scouted better, you're playing better defenses. He may pound the drum on this a little bit more. I don't know. But I think it's I think it's tough to argue that he's wound up about it because I'm I'm not hearing him I'm not hearing him talk about it very much. So yeah, I think we just kind of have to come to accept that this is not going to be that kind of team. And so then what's important is that this group is doing what they've largely done to date this season, which is at least they're ending defensive possessions with one right. miss, right? You know, cause that's something they haven't done nearly as well over the last uh, three, four years, even when they were still rebounding well offensively, when Xavier Tillman was around, um, the defensive rebounding was not quite at the level you'd expect. You know, I think it, when it comes to offensive efficiency, right, there are a couple of things that come that matter. How well you shoot, right? How you know how often you score per percent, per time you shoot, how many shots you get up, which is dependent on yep. how many times you don't get a shot up because you turn the ball over, or if you get extra extra shots because you get offensive rebounds. So, you know, all those combinations matter. You can't probably excel in all of them. If you do, you're like you know top offense in the country. So, you know, if no if teams very possession- rarely do, you're, right. you're absolutely so if you're, right. If you're Right. If you if you're not turning the ball over like they usually do, but your off- your offensive rebounding is at a lower clip, it's probably a push. It's okay. It, that's just and especially when you're still shooting well. So the, I don't, there's, it, it sounds weird to say it, but and I I may have mentioned this here. I know I mentioned it on uh, one of my recent appearances on Jack Ebling on his show. Um, the profile is not normal Michigan State. In some ways, it looks more like a Wisconsin. And that's really weird. How dare you say that? (laughs) I know. It's really weird to say, but that's, you know, it's not quite that extreme because those Wisconsin teams are usually, you know, top 10 in turnover percentage. MSU, we're, we're talking about top 40 or 50. But still, it looks closer to that than what we typically see from Michigan State. But you, you just touched on really what matters, and we, we try to emphasize this here. The key is the number of attempts you're getting to score. So there are different ways you do that, but the way that this MSU team is doing it, holding the mistakes to a minimum, not getting a ton of second chances, is fine. That's acceptable. What's not acceptable is if they were doing this kind of job in offensive rebounding and they were coupling that with 17 turnovers tonight. That would be a problem. Yeah. But we haven't seen that very much. One other point on that for tonight, for whatever it's worth. The one thing they did pretty well is they cashed in on the second chances they got. They only had eight offensive rebounds, but they had 13 second chance points off those offensive rebounds. So that's better than a point and a half per second chance, which is pretty good. And and the one other thing you'd say to be more specific about the, you know, free free throw attempts or not free throw, but uh, field goal attempts 
is you don't have to get a field goal attempt, right? Like if you have you get fouled, so it may not look like right. they have as many a field goal attempts per possession, but that's because they're in it at the line, which they don't count as. You know, yeah, you attempts. have to add. That's absolutely true. You have to add that in as well. It's really not so much field goal attempts; it's opportunities to score, possessions, possessions that you had a chance to score either through a field goal attempt or getting to the free throw line. You know, either or. It's just. We tend to emphasize the field goal attempt component of that because historically and particularly this season, Michigan State is not a team that gets to the line a ton. But tonight, that was different. You know, if they could continue anything, like I say, two thirds of this, give me 20 free throw attempts a night the rest of the way, and I'd take it in a heartbeat. And I guess the other thing we didn't really touch on wasn't part of the key, but from just looking at the shooting now from three. This is, I mean, this is as good a three-point shooting team as we had anticipated coming into the season. Yep. In fact, maybe even better. I mean, they shot 42% from three in both halves. I mean, five of 12 and then three of seven. They definitely slowed down and really looking for that shot in the second half just because they were able to get inside and, and get to the get to the rim. But uh, you can definitely see the difference of bringing Malik Hall back. And Aikens is definitely dialed in more. And I would yep. the one thing I'd say is Walker missed ones that he normally makes. I know that's the second game in a row we've said, but he was over four and they were all good looks. I mean, he wasn't yep. like forcing any of them. Aikens and Hall being back is a big boost because now it's not, you know, primarily up to this point, it's been about Tyson and, uh, and Joey Hauser with Pierre Brooks tossing in a little bit, uh, you know, Hogard occasionally taking a couple attempts, but not a guy you're really relying on. With Hall and Aikens out there, man, you got a lot of weapons. I was talking about that in conjunction with the idea of posting AJ up. And this is one of the things that makes Michigan State difficult to deal with if they could get him isolated on a smaller player on the blocks. Because if you don't bring help, he can overpower smaller defenders. If you do send help, you got a lot of shooters on that arc. And having Hall and Aikens back is just lengthening the depth of that group, you know? So that's a, that's a big, big deal. Yeah. It's a very good shooting three point shooting team. I mean, I haven't looked at the updated number, but they were just a tick under 38% as a team coming into this one. They're, they're clearly over 38% now. Um, So they're slightly better, I think than they were last year, maybe ever so slightly. Um, But this is a good three point shooting team. There's just, there's no way around that. It, and they need to be. They need to be because they haven't been a particularly great team inside the arc. So it is really important that MSU get production from the three. They, they don't take an excessive amount of attempts. But, you know, it, this is kind of a normal game for them. I haven't looked at the average. I'm, I'm going to assume 19 attempts is probably around the ballpark of what they average, maybe a little under. Um, but you know, they need this kind of production. And I think it's uh, certainly by this stage, it's reasonable to conclude that we know what they are as a shooting team. And it's not a surprise. They're very good. Yeah. We have a number of players uh, averaging over 40% or at 40. I mean, that's. And and Tyson Walker is not one of them, which. No, I know. You you know, know, we know, we know how good a shooter he is. So. Yeah, well, Hauser, Hall, Aikens, all in that group. Is Pierre over 40? I think he probably well, is he close. He's got to be, right? I mean, he's got yeah. to be over 40%. So, I guess he's only one for, well, one for two today, but. Yeah, but they've, yeah, they got a lot of guys that you have to deal with. And um, that's going to make them a tough guy. And if you can marry that with what we saw tonight on a more consistent basis in terms of their perimeter guys looking to drive the ball consistently hey that you know it opens up a lot on offense you know it's one hand washing the other so to speak it's one area impacting another offensively so um you know you'd love this is not a complete offensive team by any stretch you would love to have that reliable post guy that michigan state most of the time and the iso era has had they haven't had it for a while Really haven't had it since Nick Ward left, to be honest. Um, you could argue that at different points of a season, you know, Aaron Henry gave them some of that. Um, but 
they really haven't had that kind of guy in a while. So without that, that means you got to find ways to manufacture offense in different fashion. And if you can shoot the ball from deep, that's going to open some opportunities up to do exactly that. Yeah. And Pierre Brooks, just he is 41.2% this season from a three. Okay. 14, 14 to 34. Uh, That's great. I guess the, the other thing too, it definitely looked like a little bit more like Michigan State basketball today with seventy percent assist ratio on field yep. field goals. Twenty one of thirty uh, had assists on, so the ball is moving well today. And that you know was obviously shown by by uh, by Hogarth having ten assists. <laughs> yeah, but we said, but you said Joey at six, right? Yeah, so, Joey at six. I mean, yeah. geez, Joey won that far for a triple double. No. <laughs> um, so it was a lot of guys. We talked about Holloman, that great play in transition you know they did they did some nice stuff it was uh it was good to see the ball moving and yeah look there are different ways to skin a cat assist to to made field goals ratio is not necessarily an ideal measure of great offense for every program because there are different ways stylistically that teams approach it but at michigan state it is because that's the way they want to play. That's how their offense is designed. It's a ball movement, man movement offense. It's not a isolate somebody, square somebody up, try to take them to the rim. It's not that kind of thing. And so assists in the off- kind of offense Michigan State runs tend to be a pretty good indicator of how effective they're, they're playing, how effectively they're moving the ball. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. Um Again, Michigan State with 89-68 victory over Buffalo begins the 18 game remaining seat part of the Big Ten season with Nebraska. Well, real real quick too uh, on on that front. Now that the non conference is over, that that wraps it up. MSU finished with an eight and three record in the non conference and eight and four or nine and four, right? No, no, they're nine and four overall, but two of those games are oh, against right. Big yeah, Ten yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, eight and three in the non conference. So yeah. eight and three. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, Jack, going back to the last appearance I made with Jack Ebling, he asked me what grade I'd give Michigan State so far. And I, I landed on a solid B. And that's taking into account a variety of things, including the injuries they've gone through, obviously the schedule they were facing, not just the quality of the teams, but the way games played out, the travel, the lack of rest at times, all of those things. And I would, I would still, you know, tonight was good to beat this team by 21. That's what you wanted to see. And I thought it was a fair, I thought the score was a fair reflection of the way the game went. I didn't think it flattered MSU. That's important. I think that you finish it the right way, but you look back at it now that it's over. And I would suggest that there aren't very many realistic Michigan state fans that looked at what they were facing in October and would have said, nah, eight and three is not good enough. <laughs> you know, I think, and if you told them that um, one of the losses was going to come against Notre Dame, that would have been surprising, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, so I, I think they passed. That doesn't mean they're perfect. It doesn't mean there aren't a lot of things they need to continue to improve, but Uh, Speaking for myself, and I think for you as well, um, I am encouraged by where they are. I think that the signs that you would want to see in terms of what their potential is, the areas that still remain for growth, and the chances that they'll meet them to one extent or another are all present. You know, now that they're fully back and healthy and you see what they look like with a Malik Hall playing well, there's no reason not to feel a good level of optimism. Now it was interesting. You know, they flashed a graphic on the screen, um, getting back into big 10 play, not a lot of favors. Um, they've got these two home games against Nebraska and Michigan to start over the next week. And then they're in Madison and they're in Champaign. And then they come home to face Purdue. Yeah. So it's, it, it gets real. I mean, and, and look that Nebraska, Nebraska just manhandled Iowa. Crushed him. Yeah. 
It was, yeah, uh, it was. Okay. And, and we've talked about them. Now this is somewhat damning with faint praise, but I think it's pretty clear <laughs> now this is the best team of the Fred Hoiberg era. So, you know, that's no bargain, even at home facing those guys. And then you got Michigan, a rivalry game. So this is, it's, it gets real in a hurry, but all that said, I like, I like the way this team looks. I like their potential. I like the way they look now. I like their potential to get better. And that's really yes. all you can ask for at this stage, right? With this yeah, team. I mean, well, and you know, as we were just starting to feel really good about this team, when we had the double injury there, uh, you know, it, it changed our outlook and it changed everyone's outlook sort of what this team is going to be. And I think it was easy to forget that those guys were coming back and they, and, you know, presuming they came back healthy and got back to full strength, that team would be the team that you saw before. Although, you know, they're going to be better, obviously, but most teams are, you know, hopefully most teams are improving throughout the season. Uh, that's what you hope of your coach. I'm sure. We talked about it at the time when that hit, that it really was just survival mode. And they did barely, Barely survived Oregon, barely survived Portland, but those were two big games to get in the win column. You don't survive Notre Dame. Finally, you get caught, um, and then you get you get beat by Northwestern, and what was disappointing. But then you find a way, and you get a road win against Penn State. So they survived it, and then the last three Brown, Oakland, and this game tonight have been about getting healthy, getting guys reacclimated, trying to see some individual improvement over this period. And they're through that now. And the rest of the way, it's, you know, quote unquote, normal. It's big right. 10, 18 games packed into what? Nine weeks, I guess. Something like that. I was looking at recording schedule. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. And we'll see what happens. But I, again, I think you have to feel as a Michigan state fan, you have to feel not ecstatic. You're not puffing out your chest, but you should feel pretty good about where this team is and what they can be, what the ceiling is. Cause we haven't seen the best of this team by a long stretch. Not my opinion. We are going to see moments in the weeks ahead that are going to be beyond anything we've seen to date, which is how it should be. You know, the, the only question is, do you get that sustained for a long enough period that you can really think about doing some things, meaning, you know, contending in this conference? Because that's always the goal. Yeah, the, I think the schedule doesn't do them any favors. I think the weaker teams in the conference, I think Michigan State only plays once, most of them. I think Nebraska played um, twice, but uh, you know, outside of, outside of Minnesota, there really aren't any easy game free games in this conference this season. So, yeah, you know, it's, I would I would say to, to anybody who wants to talk about that, okay, tell me who the weaker teams are, because Nebraska would be everybody's choice probably at the moment for the thirteenth best team in the conference, right? Only Minnesota's worse. Nebraska just went and just smacked Iowa around and they should have beaten Purdue. They had Purdue. So are they the 13th best team? If they are, there aren't any easy games, (laughs) you know? So I I don't, the, the scheduling stuff, I guess, I guess I made my peace with that a long time ago. I've I've just figured that at the end of the day, you don't have control over it. And I've seen Michigan state teams, win conference titles and be in position to go to final fours and all of that in years where supposedly they weren't getting a scheduling break. You know, it's in a 14, I I used to care about it more when we had 11 teams Yeah, because it, it could really be like having a crucial single play vis-a-vis another contender could really seem like it would, it would tip the scales. But once this thing got to 14 and, and newsflash, it's only getting worse with the <laughs> LA schools coming in. Yeah. Let's just play the games and let's see what happens. Yeah. Right. And, and those things work themselves. Out. And honestly, you could have all the conspiracy theories you want that it's set up for certain teams, which there's no way that's actually the case. But even if it were, how do you even know? I mean, especially this year, you wouldn't even know what teams you want to avoid. And because I mean, right? here's the thing that people forget about and it's especially relevant in a year where i think if there was ever a year that you could fairly say well there's parity 
meaning there's a lot of teams that are a hair's breadth different from each other. I think that's a fair description of the Big Ten right now. So in that kind of scenario, yeah, it, it matters who you play and where you play them, but you know what else matters? When you play them. And right. we saw that with Northwestern. I felt like Michigan State just at that if you played that game even a few days later, I'm going to assume it's a different outcome, you know, but it just, it, they got them at the right time and there are going to be moments like that. I'm going to guarantee you for as much as people are convinced that, you know, Purdue's going to run away with this thing, mark my words. And I haven't even delved into their schedule yet, but I don't have to, because I know how it works in this league. <laughs> there are going to be, there's going to be a game or multiple games where Purdue is going to be playing, they're going to be running on fumes a little bit because of the schedule, and they're going to run into a team that's better rested than they are and just ready to go on a night where they're not, and they're going to get got because that's what happens in the Big Ten. I, I just don't see any reason to deviate from that. So knowing that that's a reality, it's kind of like this period where Hall and Aikens were out. To, to me, I think the goal is survive it <laughs> just just get through it and and play these games as they come and we'll tally it up at the end of the year and we'll see where we are and we'll assume just like that you well, as you said indiana is your number one pick but they're not going to win it all so yeah i'm very confident in that that much i'm confident <laughs> in they're not winning the big 10 and i don't think they're winning a share of the big 10 but we'll yeah, see right. yeah we'll see well we'll know more in about eight games we'll have a little better idea of where where teams line up all right well uh again we won't see you again until 2023 everybody have a great new year's absolutely happy new year everybody and and you know what new year reminds me of this because unfortunately our football program is not participating in any of the festivities this year but <laughs> we didn't even mention keon coleman on the michigan state bench and Izzo mentioned today right. He has officially been cleared by Mel Tucker to play. So I was kind of surprised they didn't get him in there tonight, but I'm assuming that's because they just felt like they haven't had enough games, maybe. I mean, MSU's got a deep bench now of walk-ons. I mean, in yeah. addition to him, they've got what? You've got uh, Davis Smith, Stephen Izzo, and Nick Sanders, right? So you've got three. Whitens um, is also technically a walk-on. Whitens is four. And, and then, you know, we're not a walk-on, but a guy you want to maybe try to get some of those minutes. So I, I don't know, but um, yeah. So a Keon Coleman sighting on the bench tonight, and uh, he will be there the rest of the way. So happy new year, those who obsess about Keon Coleman playing basketball. And Malik Carr will, it did not, play for he's not uh, gonna play this year yeah he's not gonna, and he's yeah he's done i think he's gonna focus just on football and getting the nfl yeah and that's point. you know that's a smart, smart move. move i yeah. i just the the personally i'm a little you know most people most michigan state fans have for the last two years as i kind of not even half jokingly mentioned a bit obsessed with the idea of keon coleman playing basketball because there were all these high school um uh, highlights of him, you know, he's obviously a superior athlete dunking on people and, you know, making very athletic plays. And I think that had people excited and to his credit, I mean, Izzo clearly loves him. I, I heard him talking about him in a, in a post-practice uh, press conference earlier this week. He just loves him. And I had actually heard that last year from somebody I know is very closely connected with the coaching staff that they were really, they knew what kind of athlete he was, but they were really impressed just with his whole thing, his demeanor, the way he approaches it. So that's for real. But I am a little bit disappointed with Malik Carr not playing. I do. I agree. It's I'm sure it's the right decision. But, man, I loved watching Malik Carr play basketball in high school. I really did because he just he was he was a guy that kind of he would have fit in with the bad boys. I mean, he yeah. just. He had that kind of attitude to him and he ran his mouth a little bit, not like Hunter Dickinson. He did it smartly. <laughs> um, but I uh, see I'm getting in my shots a week early, but, um, but I just loved, and he was a hell of a defender. He was a good rebounder. I really thought 
he might be a guy who'd have a chance to help them a little bit if they needed it. But uh, that didn't happen last year, and it's probably not going to happen, period, at MSU. But as I say, for those who love the Keon Coleman news, uh, celebrate. And I guess with that, uh, we'll, again, see you next year. And until next time, the Final Four is on the schedule. Go Green. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.